Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, most of us know the Pittsburgh Steelers' history by two things. One, the dynasty of the 1970s, and two, the 40 years of losing. But the question that I wanted answered was what happened. Why were they so bad? You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, it's late Wednesday night. We're up in this piece. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals. And it's cool if you already know this stuff, especially Pittsburgh Steelers fans. This week, y'all don't like this one. Uh, Congratulations. But there's always someone else who doesn't. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So this show exists for three things. I'm here to enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. Uh, This show is presented by Belly Up Sports belly up media the belly up sports podcast network bellyupsports.com go to it click on it check out the stories as well as the shows check out the merch you know purchase some and you can catch all of our shows on our home base of megaphone also a lot of our shows on all of these favorites wherever you can find podcasts especially apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, and youtube so storylines for week 15 Teams that cannot hold on to leads. And this week, this past week, was a reminder that this is the wrong time to lose games if you're trying to make the NFL playoffs. And with that being said, let's go right to it. Week 15, the rundown. Thursday night football, Chargers, Raiders. Las Vegas scored zero points against the Vikings last week. I think they more than made up for it. 42 to nothing at halftime. Six touchdowns, six, and it felt like the Raiders were trying to impress the CFP, the College Football Playoff Committee. They scored six touchdowns and ran for, what, nearly 100 yards in the first half alone, and they did that without Josh Jacobs, who was out with the quad injury, right? Well, the Chargers, they were without and will be without their starting quarterback, Justin Herbert, for the remainder of the year, you know, fractured the the finger on his throwing hand, and they was also without Keenan Allen, but backup, quarterback Easton Stick, and the offense, they were just on a mail card. Missing. All right. The takeaway that I have from this game, there was no way that the Chargers head coach Brandon Staley was going to make it out of this. And I hate being right. Both Staley and their GM, Tom Telesco, were fired. Nothing much to say about this except the score. Raiders 63, Chargers 21. We had three games on Saturday starting at noon. Vikings, Bengals, Josh Dobbs went from being interviewed and loved to being benched as of last week. Nick Mullins starts for the Vikings, the fourth quarterback of their season, right? Jake Browning, of course, and for Joe Burrow, trying to win his fourth straight. Down as many as 14 points, Cincinnati and their shaky defense made two of the biggest stops of the season. Uh, you know, to force overtime, right? And in overtime, after a great touchdown catch by T. Higgins, if you didn't see the catch on uh, coming back out of the end zone 
and then going to the one, making the catch, and then putting the ball over that pylon like he did. That was great. Great play. Uh, tied the game with 39 seconds left to go in the fourth quarter. Jamar Chase, he had went out with a shoulder injury. We'll see what happens with him going forward. But on both third and fourth and in inches, Kevin O'Connell called his version of the brotherly shove. And I'm sure the Eagles were rolling on the ground with laughter. It fell twice in a row. You had nothing else in the playbook. You could have given it to Ty Chandler, running back who had 132 yards against Cincinnati that day. And you tried to run a quarterback sneak, the exact same look, the exact same motion with a little bitty receiver trying to push your quarterback. That wasn't going to work. And, I mean, that that's on you. This game was a mirror image of the ending in 2021, though, between these same two teams. Evan McPherson kicked the Bengals to victory in overtime. Period, point blank. Bengals 27, Vikings 24. 330, Steelers, Colts. All right, for those who don't know, I am a Steelers fan, and they were up 13 to nothing. And I felt good as a fan, but not confident. And boy, did they prove me right again. Indianapolis scores 30 straight points. Unanswered. It may have been worse uh, if Michael Pittman Jr. hadn't been knocked out of the game by that ugly hit by Monte Casey, who's suspended for the season, right? Uh, hate that. But Gardner Minshew, he throws three touchdowns. The Colts ran for 170 yards, and they sacked Mitchell Trubisky and when Mason Rudolph came in, <laughs> sacked them both four times, and they forced three turnovers. And according to ESPN's Paul Hembokitas, we would know him as Hembo, and I quote him, the Steelers have been held under 20 points in five straight games for the first time since 1969. Not great. Colts 30, Steelers 13. And the nightcap on Saturday night, Broncos-Lions, finally, the Lions get their 10th win of the season, and it wasn't even close. It was simply a game that got away from Denver early. 21 to nothing in the second quarter. Jared Groff throws three of his five touchdown passes on the day. And unless Detroit's grocery bag falls out between the checkout line and the car, they should win the NFC North going away and make the playoffs for the first time since 2016. Hmm. Lions 42, Broncos 17. Sunday, Sunday, noon, Texans, Titans. This was a little bit embarrassing. I was just going to say it. You know, I'm here in Nashville. Uh, I'm a Titan supporter. Of course, a Steelers fan. That'll never change. But the Titans went with the Love Your Blue unis on Sunday. Beautiful colors. Love them. The old Oilers unis. Mike Vrabel, he comes out with the Bum Phillips 10-gallon hat. Billy White Shoes Johnson, he was there, gets inducted uh, into the ring of honor. Even Curl, uh, excuse me, Curl, Earl Campbell was in the house. What could go wrong after the Titans win the halftime 13-3 lead against the Texans? Without their star rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud, they fell asleep at the wheel. Maybe they were overconfident. I don't know what the case was, but they got outscored in the second half by Houston 13-3. Tied the game at 16. Overtime was forced. And to make matters a little bit worse, in overtime, Will Levis suffers the high ankle sprain on the Titans' final drive. They forced the punt. Tennessee, their offensive line is terrible. Just simply put, there's no hiding that thing. We've known that around here for a long time. But replacing Stroud was Case Keenum, whom we've seen his magic before. And despite a first-half pick six, uh, you know, they had a game-tying touchdown pass from him. And Devon Singletary, who the Titans defense could not tackle all day, actually scored a potential walk-off game-winning touchdown, 34-yard run. Got called back on a penalty, but Kai Fairburn, another game-winning kick, 54 yards. Houston, those colors still belong in Tennessee, right? Congratulations, though. Texans 19, Titans 16. Embarrassing. Another embarrassing thing was the Jets-Dolphins game. No Tyreek Hill, no problem. And the Jets, the way that they turned the football over, uh, you know, Tua Tagovailoa did not have to work very hard. That offense didn't have to do a whole lot. You set them up for success. The Jets did. And although although Tua only had one touchdown pass, it was still what Raheem Mostert, he runs for two on the ground. Jalen Waddle, 142 yards through the air, uh, receiving and a touchdown. 
224 yards passing. They didn't do a, have to do a whole lot. Waddle had a big day yardage-wise, but as far as the Jets are concerned, this is the most seesaw team I have ever seen. 11 possessions in this game. This is how it went. Fumble, downs, punt, 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 interception, fumble, interception, and then they ran one play and the game was over. I picked the wrong week fantasy-wise to go ahead and slide Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson back into my lineup after they both scored over 20 points last week. I thought, I thought maybe, maybe they can do something again. Hall had 12 yards rushing. Garrett Wilson caught three passes for a mere 29 yards. Zach Wilson was brutal, uh, very ineffective. Trevor Simeon gets inserted in. He throws two interceptions, and they both quarterbacks were sacked a total of ten, uh, six times. Of course, Aaron Rodgers, he's clear for practice. He's not playing. This season's over with. Dolphins, 30, Jets, zip. Buccaneers, Packers, Green Bay, two steps forward, one step back. They won three in a row, and now they've lost two in a row. Watching the game, you know, they were still in it, but they just couldn't keep up, especially at the end. They couldn't keep up with Baker Mayfield. And speaking of which, he looked like the old Oklahoma Baker Mayfield. His numbers on the day, 22 of 28, 381 yards and four touchdowns. And the Bucs did that at Lambeau. Now, Jordan Love, on the other side, wasn't bad. He even had Aaron Jones back, finally at running back. But it doesn't help when your defense gives up 452 total yards at home. And so, you know, a win badly needed for Tampa Bay for their playoff hopes in the NFC South. Everybody came into this week 6-7. and seven. You got to win at this point, right? They are now 7-7. Seven seven. Buccaneers 34, Packers 20. Giants, Saints, speaking of the NFC South, New Orleans also badly needed a win. New York Giants, they have won three straight games. Uh, and they have their third stringer, Tommy, the Italian, the Italian DeFito, been more than effective leading that Giants offense, but not this week. The Saints sacked DeVito seven times. I know he's had a game before we were sacked nine times. I believe it was the first start that he had, but and they won that one, but that wasn't happening this week. You know, bad week for your quarterback to lead you in rushing when you have Saquon Barkley in the backfield, only 36 yards. Milk card for Barkley, nine carries, 14 yards. And I'm wondering just how much longer uh, on the other side of the sideline, Derek Carr would actually stay in New Orleans. Boy, them fans are putting him through it. The Boo Burrs are always out. They don't seem to like him very much, but they boo every chance they get. But three touchdown passes does help a lot. And speaking of which, Jimmy Graham, this guy has, what, six catches all year, and four of them have gone for touchdowns. Pretty good. Saints 24, Giants 6, Falcons, Panthers, another NFC South matchup. The last thing Atlanta needed to do was to lose a game, as especially to the Panthers. And Carolina, they got their second win of the season off three Eddie Pinheiro field goals, including the 20-yard, 23-yard game winner to beat the Falcons on Sunday. And uh, they were in first place in the division in the division. Well, fun fact, I didn't even know this. The interim head coach for the Panthers, Chris Tabor, uh, he coached Pinheiro three years as an assistant in Chicago. Yeah, good job. Panthers nine, Falcons seven, Bears, Browns. Speaking of the Bears, um, dang, Darnell Mooney. If you hadn't seen it by now, you had the Hail Mary thrown by Justin Fields with five seconds left to go, and they're going to knock the ball down, and Mooney happens to be the guy out front right there in the front of the end zone, and the ball hits him right in the hands right in the stomach and it rolls off his stomach as he's falling down backwards and rolls up his leg is kicked in the air and interception by DeAnthony Bell of the Browns and that was it that was the game one game the Browns couldn't run the football and actually nobody could run the football very well Flacco uh, goes for 374 and despite three interceptions he throws two touchdowns one of them was a beautiful 51 yarder Put perfectly between between three Bears defenders. Mark Cooper takes it the rest of the yards for you know, a touchdown to tie the score at 17. And Dustin Hopkins goes with the 32 seconds left field goal that turned out to be the game winner. Put the Browns up for good. The Browns now nine and five. Wow. How about that on their fourth quarterback of the season? Browns 20, Bears 17. Chiefs Patriots. 
So Tay Tay was back in the house to see her man, Travis Kelsey. Got kisses blown here and there to the crowd. And eventually you get a WTF when Kelsey was potentially interfered with trying to catch a football. And he, he wasn't very good Sunday. What, five catches, 28 yards? Anyway, the Chiefs, they had to pull out all the stops in order to get a win this week. They built a 17-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Mahomes, 300 yards passing, two touchdowns, but then two more interceptions. But, you know, as the offense goes, as he goes, and also uh, how often his receivers actually hold on to the football. But on the other side, the Patriots offense, bad. Two for 12 on third down and just over 200 total yards. Uh, yeah, they're going to have to pull pull some strings in the draft. They need some players, man. And they move closer to the top of which, there you go, win, after winning two straight. Chiefs 27, Patriots 17. Afternoon slate, 49ers, Cardinals. The Cardinals had the look of a team that was seriously considering winning this game. Um, and that does happen from time to time. But Christian McCaffrey went plump off. He scored three times. He racked up nearly 200 yards total from scrimmage. That guy is the MVP. He's the NFL MVP. I understand Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, and even his own quarterback, Brock Purdy, who threw four touchdown passes. But we know who's, who's the straw this Thursday drink. You know, Kyler Murray fell in love with his tight ends on Sunday, and it kept them in the game between Trey McBride and Elijah Higgins and Jeff Swain, who only caught one pass himself. But, you know, they were one, two, and three in receiving for Arizona. And it wasn't enough. You got to not fumble the ball five times, even though you only lost one of them. Doesn't help against that 49ers defense. Uh, 49ers all day. 45, Cardinals 29. Commanders, Rams. Even though the Cowboys-Bills game, of course, it was on at the same time. I had that on the big TV. My iPad had a close eye on the L.A. Washington game. Third quarter, Matt Stafford, he throws two touchdowns. Uh, they have a 20 to nothing lead, and they still almost lost it. One point, I believe Eric Bieniemy said, "Hey, look, Sam Howell, get, hey buddy, come up, stand over here with me for a little while. Jacoby Brissett, you go get in this game." He goes in. Brissett goes eight for ten, 124 yards, and throws two touchdowns. And Washington just came up short. Yeah. Tyron Williams, he ran uh, for well over 100 yards, and Cooper Cup looks like the old Cooper Cup. And the Rams, they're trying to squeeze into the playoffs. Rams 28, Commanders 20, Cowboys Bills. Now. Wasn't anything a lot at all but like those Super Bowl matchups that went in Dallas's favor. And as a matter of fact, Dak Prescott in that offense, they could not get anything going, especially through the air. And I have no idea why they stopped running the ball so early. And speaking of running the ball, James, and I, I'm saying this on purpose, cooked the Dallas defense 179 yards on the ground. He has 42 yards receiving. He, uh, on just two catches and he scores twice he was unstoppable I do agree with Josh Allen who uh, only passed for 94 yards and he accounted for two scores himself and he says and I quote I felt like a kid that didn't do anything in a class project but got an A you got that right kind of Bills 31 Cowboys 10 Sunday Night Football Ravens Jaguars Lamar Jackson listen stat line wasn't impressive. Not at all. But the dude is freaking incredible. You had to watch the game. Uh, he was scrambling all over the place. And I believe he puts Vaseline all over his body pregame. He's throwing the ball sidearm, underarm, behind the back, whatever you want to call it. And he's completing these passes. Isaiah likely helps a lot. He has been a good replacement fill-in for Mark Andrews. Uh, Jackson runs for 97. And I hate it as far as rushing goes, seeing Keaton Mitchell blow his knee the way he did, that was ugly. Prayers up for the man. But the Jaguars, four drives at one point inside the 40 of the Ravens and, you know, zero points. In the first half, it was just bad. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, got to get that fumbling problem fixed. Uh, no sustained drives on a consistent basis. Now the Jags, they're losing games when they can't afford to. Three straight L's. Ravens 23, Jaguars 7. Monday Night Football, Eagles, Seahawks. Sorry, look, the last thing I expected was a Drew Locke, uh, you know, him to lead a 90-plus yard drive of any kind, much less a game-winning one. Good game, though, and he throws the game winner at the end, pretty much you know, what turned out to be the game winner uh, to Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. But it was a good game. Philly, they're in trouble right now. Jalen looks hurt, although he is not necessarily playing like it. 
Zero touchdowns and two interceptions doesn't help, but that defense stinks right now. That secondary especially. They can't cover a bear with a sheet. Seattle, great grand plan. They ran the football. They threw the football effectively enough. And the Eagles, y'all better get it together. Three weeks left to go in the season. Seahawks 20, Eagles 17. Coming up next, there are two things everybody should know about the Pittsburgh Steelers' history. Now, the 40 years of losing and, of course, the 70s dynasty. But one thing I never focused in on was what happened during those first 40 years. I do have the answer. Yet another one of those reasons why I got into football and NFL history in the first place was my search for the answer of this question in anything football related. What happened? And I can say the same thing to history as a whole. I just want to know what happened. You know, I had a book that I used to read that was the size of a phone book, and I will find that statistical book one of these days. I used to go to Rivergate Mall, the old mall that's around here in Nashville. Uh, when my mom would be shopping, other than me going to Foot Locker and you know places like that, I would go straight to this bookstore and pick up this same book. I was there, you know, for an hour or so. Uh, she went, did her shopping, and came back and found me. And in that book, it has stats and it, it did show season by season. And that was born off of me looking at Super Bowl memories, right? And Super Bowl memories uh, always piqued my interest. And you see. These teams, they win a championship. Okay, so what happened afterwards? Why didn't they go back? How come this team? And this is a, as a kid. I was trying to figure out what in the world was going on, going into my teenage years. And, um, and when it came to the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise, you know, I was trying to answer that question a lot. But, you know, with that, them as a franchise, there are plenty of well-known facts. And, of course, here's what we know. We know about the four titles in six years. We know about the Hall of Famers, 14 in that 70s dynasty. We know about Chuck Noll, Mean Joe Green, Terry Bradshaw, Mel Blount, Jack Ham, Franco Harris, the 74 draft that produced Lynn Swan and John Stallworth, uh, Jack Lambert, Mike Webster, the center, and then Donnie Shell, who was undrafted, right? Bill Nunn, who was a one of the few black scouts and pretty much, I would say, the second prominent scout uh, in NFL history that was very key in bringing in HBCU ch uh, talent. Then there's Dan Rooney, who, God rest his soul, you know, ran the Steelers effectively even after his father's death. And his father, the chief, the founder, the owner of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers family, the organization, the franchise, Art Rooney Sr. So what we also know are about the 40 years of losing. No playoff wins. Why? For what? You know, what happened? Well, Chuck Noll, who was hired January 27th in 1969, of course. Joe Green was drafted 20, uh, the next day on the 28th. Then we have those coaches, right, that there's only been three in, uh, since 1969. It was Chuck Noll, then it was Bill Cower, then now it's Mike Tomlin. Noll, what happened before, before him? Well, from 1933 to 1968, the Steelers had 13 head coaches, 13, during that 40 years of losing. And I'm not saying that they didn't have a winning season, but they did a lot of losing. And there were no playoff victories to speak of, right? Well, go back to the beginning. Art Rooney Sr., who's a Pittsburgh native. He was a Pittsburgh native, even though his family wasn't, his, you know, roots of his family weren't originally from Pittsburgh. This guy grew up Pittsburgh. Okay, a multi-sport athlete. He did play baseball and football, and he was actually a, a boxer as well. He and his brother Dan, uh, not his son Dan, but his brother Dan, you know, they played semi-pro football, you know, in the Pittsburgh area, and they they were they played obviously in high school and and in college, um, and they played semi-pro game. You know, it was it was uh, they were guys who wanted to play sports they wanted to be in sports at the time now his brother dan once they grew up ended up becoming a priest and from what i read actually moved out to china 
right? I don't know how long he was there, but when it came to Art, Art, he was one who grew up, uh, and he actually grew up, his father had uh, a tavern, and they grew up over the top. He and all of his brothers, his family, his mom, they all grew up above a tavern, and so they got to meet a lot of people that were in the sports industry as well as uh, those who were, mm, let's say, bookies and things like that. Uh, he actually went with his father for the first time to a horse racing track in Cleveland. And I think there was born of him that gambler. And that's how he made his money. Most of his money from the jump was gambling. I read a story where he had went to work with his uncle. Uh, who was a coal miner. I mean, it's Pittsburgh, right? It's Pennsylvania. And at lunch, they're having lunch, and he asked his uncle how much he made. His uncle had been doing this for about 15 years. And he's, oh, well, not 15 years. He'd been doing it for a long time, but he said in about 15 years, Art Sr., you would be able to make this kind of money. My man Art packed up his lunch and left. Didn't even bother to collect his wages for half a day's work. He said, nah, I'm not doing this kind of work. And he made his money as a gambler at the racetrack, betting on horses. Now, he had other businesses and other interests and other things that he did, uh, but that was how he made a majority of his money. In 1933, when it was uh, the NFL basically came calling, he, along with some minority investors, they, he dropped $2,500 uh, to start what was then called the Pittsburgh Pirates. They weren't the Steelers until 1940. So what about... How did that go for them as a franchise in the 1930s? His first coach was Jap Dows. This is the same Jap Dows that had spoken to, uh, uh, had to pull Ray Kemp, who was the last black player uh, in the NFL in 1933 before that exodus. It was he and it was Joe Lillard who played for the Cardinals. Two last, the last two black players. Kemp, uh, you know, he was actually called back after he was cut and Dowds was uh, the one who said, we got to get this N-word out of here. He was talking about Lillard when they were playing against the Cardinals and Lillard was killing them as a running back. Um, and of course, Ray Kemp ended up being the AD at TSU, which it was Tennessee uh, A&I. At the time, he went to a, what, a 30-some-odd, nearly 40-year career as a collegiate coach as well as athletic director and so forth and so on. The last black player uh, to be cut away from the NFL until 1946. And Dows was the guy who had to kind of pull him over to the side and say, hey, look, when I said the N-word, I wouldn't talk about you. Well, that just tells you what kind of guys that uh, you was dealing with at the time. But anyway, the team was made up uh, by, by Art Rooney. We talk about senior. But, you know, most of players from his semi-pro teams, as well as some friends and people he played cards with and had drinks with. Well, you know, I think he quit drinking a long time ago, but uh, played cards with and, and were former teammates. And, you know, it didn't exactly work out. You got to get some guys that who can get the job done, right? A couple other coaches that he went through was Luby DeMillo, Joe Bach, and then also Walt Keesling, and even Johnny Blood. These two, the last two, actually played together as NFL champs with the Green Bay Packers. They were on the 1936 team that beat the Boston Redskins, George Preston Marshall's last year being in Boston before they moved to Washington. So uh, they were NFL Hall of Famers as well. Um, but these head coaches, and Keesling was kind of like a part-time and co-coach at one time but in the in the late 30s you know they hired mid to late 30s they hired Johnny Blood to be the head coach and this was a guy uh, that obviously had some issues with the Packers or as an organization they said hey look you can have the guy and I think he was a player coach for a while but uh, there were times where he wouldn't even show up to the games one instance I read about in a very good book by the way and uh, matter of fact, I'll give you the name of that book right now. It's called Their Life's Work. It's written by Gary M. Pomerantz. Very good book. Uh, and I've gotten through about half of it. And I'm like, wow, th these are some great stories in this book. One of them, you know, between that and then um, and talking about uh, in the league, 
in reading about Johnny Blood, he wasn't showing up. He was at the Bears game thinking that they didn't have a game. And they were like, dude, don't you have a game today? It's like, no, we don't. He didn't find out that they truly had a game until they announced the score. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, these are the kind of guys that they were hiring, right? Uh, the, the old Green Bay Packers star. Well, 1939, he quit halfway through what would turn out to be a 1-9-1 season. And in the 1930s as a whole, their record, 22-55-3. That's not good enough. Heading to the 1940s, Rooney actually was looking, of course, in his backyard. Sometimes it's a, a good thing to do, and sometimes you miss out, and sometimes it's not as good. But at least he was trying. Art Rooney was trying. The Pittsburgh Panthers head coach at the time was Jock Sutherland. He's trying to lure him after 15 years of being with the Panthers. He had a record of 111 and 20, 15 years. But the problem was the contract wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough money. Dip back into 1941, Burt Bell, yes, the same Burt Bell who started, owned, and coached the, the Philadelphia Eagles was a coach for a time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Both Bell, of course, and Rooney, they were working together. They were both in the same state, and they even wanted to be co-owners of two teams. And then the league was like, nah, we're not having that. But uh, between Bell, uh, a coach by the name of Aldo Donnelly, Donnelly was actually 0-5 while he was coaching there, and then they ended up having to settle for Keesling until 1942. Burt Bell uh, was told, you know what, we're losing games and we're looking bad and Rooney actually convinced him to go ahead and quit and just stand down. Anyway, the war wiped out two uh, Steelers seasons uh, as just being the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. In 43 and 44, you had the World War that was going on World War II and there weren't enough players. They were going to uh, serve the country, right? And there was a brief merger. That's when you had the mergers with the Eagles at one point and also the Cardinals, the Steagles and card pit well 1946 art rooney finally got his wish you know two years he got his wish jock serlin he was able to hire him away from the pittsburgh panthers in 46 they had a five five and one record 47 they improved to eight and four things are going up right well they were first in what was called then the nfl east it was two divisions right east and the west April 11th, 1948, Sutherland died of a brain tumor. That, 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 was, that was tough, obviously. I, and from what I read is that uh, he was on a scouting trip, I believe, and he was ended up somewhere in Kentucky, and he was just kind of wondering, and he was found. The Steelers collected him, took him back to Pittsburgh. They had tests done, and that's when they found the brain tumor, and he dies in April of that year. Go to the 1950s. The 1950s, I think was when things were really starting to show up. Bad drafting and them missing on players. The early NFL, you have to remember, the best college players were signing with the best teams, and those teams pretty much were the same four, the ones who were always in the championship and winning the championships. Chicago Bears, the New York Giants, the Washington Redskins, and the Green Bay Packers. George Hallis, Tim Mara, George Preston Marshall, and Curly Lambeau were racking up you know, the dubs and the chips. So 1936, of course, Burt Bell, even then, it was his idea. That's when the first NFL draft was agreed to and done. And even in that, I mean, Jay Burwanger, who won the first, wasn't called the Heisman Trophy yet. Uh, he opted out of playing in the league and Bell lost the first pick of the draft. He, he decided to work for a living instead of playing football for a living. But uh, even in that, uh, go all the way back to when you talk about drafting and missing on the draft, this is what I mean. 1949, Dan Rooney was a quarterback at North Catholic High School, and he was a second-team All-Star in the Pittsburgh Catholic schools, among those schools. And he was right behind St. Justin's Johnny Unitas. Yeah, that Johnny Unitas. Fast forward to 1955, six years later, Pittsburgh drafts Unitas, in the ninth round, they cut him after him only throwing one pass. One. One. Of course, he goes to the Baltimore Colts. 18 years later, he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh, you know, three-time champ and 
and uh, getting to the Super Bowls and two Super Bowls and um, yeah, it, it, it was it was it's 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 crazy. MVP, the greatest quarterback of his era, the greatest. All right, Tim Rooney, uh, Art's other son, wrote a 22-page letter trying to get his father to keep Johnny United's and telling him you know what he believed in and 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 what what <laughs> what he sees and it's like art was not trying to hear it he was basically deviating to his coach's position let's go all the way back to jap dowds jap dowds again with in ray kemp told this story before dowds who happened to be a player coach himself played the exact same position as the african-american ray kemp cut kemp right and when kemp was cut uh <laughs> kemp was obviously not happy about it he goes to art rooney whom he knows is a good man and fair but apparently there was uh, a 22 man roster thing that rooney wanted to keep to and he did put all of his trust in his head coaches to make those decisions there was no gm or anything he put that in that player coach's hands same thing goes when, when it went with uh, the, the coaching staff at the time, his head coach, cutting this guy, saying, look, I don't think he can play. We're going to let him walk. And that that's, that is what it is. And he put everything in his hands. Our senior was a busy man. He wasn't even at Danny's football games half the time. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of wild because he was just that busy. Um, one time he left at halftime uh, when uh, Dan had gotten hurt at one time. So uh, he wasn't around a whole lot. He was there, but he wasn't there. Does that make sense? So he put all of his eggs in the basket of the coach to entrust in them to do, you know, what the job was. Uh, even if it wasn't necessarily fair all the time, right? Well, uh, <laughs> and Rooney was trying to make his father see that. Didn't listen, moved on. And that same year, that the Baltimore Colts ended up with Johnny Unitas, they also had Lenny Moore in their grasp. They could have had Lenny Moore. That Yes, that great halfback from Penn State from their backyard. Okay, Instead, they draft a defensive back by the name of Gary Glick. Art Rooney never saw the guy play. He read about him and said, I'm going to dra draft this guy instead. Another miss. A big miss. Well, he had another chance the next year to draft Jim Brown out of Syracuse. Instead, they draft Lynn Dawson. Not a terrible choice, but the head coach, the new head coach he brought in that year was Buddy Parker. Buddy Parker was a two-time NFL championship level coach with the Detroit Lions and actually was the coach of the year in 1956. He trades Lynn Dawson away, and, and he did that a lot, apparently. Uh, between 1959 and 1963, a lot of their draft picks didn't even start until the eighth round. Yes, you can find some guys in the late rounds, and we know that through the history of the game. But uh, sometimes you got to draft these guys at the top. They're pretty good. <laughs> They're supposed to be good, right, if you draft them in the top. But Parker, who trades away a lot of different picks as well as rookies, he didn't want rookies he said he had no time for them he wanted veterans and that way he could get things done quicker he even brought in bobby lane who was his quarterback you know with the lines at, at one point so uh, that didn't really work out terribly you know too well it was okay but not not that as well as pittsburgh would have hoped but he wanted those vets that's what he wanted he had no time to wait for rookies to develop future hall of famers missed they combined for 68,000 yards passing, 20,000 yards rushing, and 27 Pro Bowls. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the key, though, to the Steelers' turnaround turned out to be his sons. Now, Dan ended up being groomed uh, a future Hall of Famer himself. He ended up running the day-to-day -day things for Art Rooney. Essentially, he was the GM. You know, he was a GM. Um, Art Jr. went from acting to scouting. And scouting had become, you know, to become a little bit more popular and of more use, right? 
The NFL's first scouting organization was actually called LESTO, and I think I've talked about this in the past around draft time. That's L-E-S-T-O. That stood for the Lions, Eagles, and Steelers organization. This started in 1963. The next year, in 1964, it went to Blesto because the Bears joined them during that same time. Now, Art Jr. was learning how to scout from a former Steeler by the name, of course, Jack Butler. Buddy Parker, who was the head coach, you know, he, he took Pittsburgh from 6-6 six and six to 9-5 and five in six, uh, 1962. But he was constantly threatening to quit for whatever reason. Dan Rooney accepted his resignation before the 1965 season. 1966, Art Sr. hired Green Bay uh, assistant coach Bill Austin. He came from Vince Lombardi's, you know, his coaching staff. And it was off of Lombardi's recommendation to Art Rooney. And... There was no interview, none. Dan wanted his father to interview this guy. It's like, look, you need to interview this guy, not once, but you know, a couple of times, and let's put him on the list and then go forward and see what we can have later on. The Art didn't go for it. He's like, this dude is a champion. He's been on a championship team. He was trying. You know how we hire assistants these days from off of championship level teams, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, that, that hot assistant, right? Yeah, that's what he did. Understandable, but it didn't work out. Three years from 1966 to 1968. Their record, 11-28-3. Thumbs down. Austin was fired after a 2-11-1 season. Bye-bye, baby, bye-bye. So, yeah, you, you have that. Um, so, sorry it had to go down like that. It was kind of like Brandon Staley <laughs> getting the axe. But at least they let him finish the season. Um, now around this time I, and I had to kind of correct myself because I kind of felt like it was a possibility that I may not had all my resources correct but I talked at one time about did two, did two shows on Black Scouts you know the first two prominent Black Scouts and I mistakenly called them the first and second Black Scouts in NFL history that wasn't true okay Lloyd Wells of Kansas City and Bill Nunn of Pittsburgh. And Bill Nunn Jr., okay? Bill Nunn III, he was my man. That was Radio Raheem in Do the Right Thing, right? He and uh, he worked with his father, Bill Nunn Sr., uh, Bill Nunn Sr. with the Pittsburgh, Steel, uh, Pittsburgh Courier, excuse me. Um, he was actually the NFL's sixth black scout in history. The black newspaper, the Pittsburgh Courier, very, very famous at the time. Um, but he was not none, was not fond of the Steelers in the way that they did things. Now, him being a guy who covered many sports and not only the Steelers, his hometown where he grew up, born and raised, not just the Pittsburgh Steelers NFL team, but also the Pittsburgh Pirates of the MLB. They were a weekly paper and weekly papers were not given passes. Well, they made an exception for the white weekly papers. Okay, not just the majors, but the the weekly, the smaller ones, they, they, they were not giving out passes. And that not only that, it was, you know, the treatment of African-Americans, which wasn't always stellar, right? Well, uh, 17 years, Bill Nunn had put out the black college All-America team. He had teams uh, all over the league that they weren't all drafting HBCU talent all the time, but they knew that, that there were some good ones out there, right? Remember the draft started off with magazines and newspapers and word of mouth. You had guys that were going and scouting players and not everybody had those plugs and certainly none like Bill Nunn and Lloyd Wells uh, being hooked up with the black community and the, and the black college coaches and those HBCUs. Um, he knew talent when he saw it and you know, other teams were calling for his opinion and his insight. But guess what? The Pittsburgh Steelers at the time, they were not. They were trying to change things around, right? His own hometown team. 1967, Dan wanted him to become a scout. They had a meeting. He's like, why have you never, you know, come through? Obviously, none had to discuss with him um, the issues that he had with the franchise as well as those around it. And so... Uh, this was something that was put out there and he did it respectfully 
but then at the same time, he did it, you know, without blinking, right? He told them also how bad his team was and the reason why your team was bad. <laughs> another that will come uh, in another two years would do the exact same thing. So Dan said, after they had their discussion, he's like, look, I want you to have a meeting with Art Jr. Art Jr. was a guy who actually started into the scouting world. He, he became an NFL scout. And uh, he was a one-man show, right? I'm sure he had some kind of help, but he was the one who was making most of the decisions. And after that meeting between these two, they had a meeting of the minds. And it's like, look, won't you come on and and, uh, and and be a scout for us? He agreed to do this part-time and part-time only. So I'm glad that they did that much because he ended up becoming full-time by 1969. Probably would have done it in 68 had it not been for the assassination of Dr. King. I mean, they covered more than sports at the Pittsburgh Courier. And they had him stick around until, he said, I'll stick around until, you know, they find someone to replace me, as well as doing my thing with, you know, these important stories in 1968. Well, fast forward to the next year in 1969, when he actually did become a full-time scout. Well, 1968 the year before the year dr king's death his assassination again they had fired austin as being the head coach and art rooney was still looking in the pennsylvania backyard december of 1968 they were trying to get joe paterno from penn state and there was just no dice he almost did it but he's like you know what no i'm good with the college thing of course we know that he he coached there to the day he died well, Chuck Noll was another guy that was on the list. Chuck Noll, if you don't already know, played for Paul Brown in the Cleveland Browns from 1953 and 1959 to 1959 as a linebacker, and as well as one of those. His main thing was being one of those messenger guards that took the plays in and out for the Cleveland Browns. Played for seven years, and he probably would have played longer if he hadn't suffered epileptic seizures. Same thing with his college career. I believe he went to the University of Dayton, would have played for uh, the, for Notre Dame had he not had the same issue medically. Two-time champion, and he goes from uh, the playing field to being a coach. He's a defensive line coach and an assistant for the L.A. Chargers of the AFL from 1960 to 1961 up under Sid Gilman. And 1962-65, he was up, uh, he got a promotion to being the defensive coordinator and backfield coach. They won the AFL championship in 1963. 66, he ends up with the Baltimore Colts and Don Shula. 68, of course, and, and he's doing the exact same job. He's the defensive coordinator uh, for the Baltimore Colts. Great defense, right? They were supposed to win it all. The only loss they had was to the Cleveland Browns. Um, but uh, they they more than avenged that loss before being upset in Super Bowl three by the New York Jets. Immediately the day after the game, he goes into an interview with with the Roonies. And in that interview, they had multiple, but in this interview in particular, he did discuss his background and how his come up you know came together and as well as his philosophies and things like that. But they also talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers as a team, and he was candid, just like Bill Nunn was, you're not talented. And then your team's deficiencies are this, that, and so. Um, and you got to remember that he knows this organization from seeing them up close as a player as well as a coach. And even that Baltimore season, they beat Pittsburgh 41-7 when they faced off. Uh, and also what caught Dan's ears, Dan Rooney's ears was Knowles' plan on how to fix it. And Chuck Knowles' thing was and it, you have to know you, you learned something from Paul Brown other than just innovations. And his thing was fundamentals talking about Chuck Knowles, teaching and how to build through the draft. Unlike coaches like Buddy Parker. Building through the draft. Long term sustained success. So yeah, Chuck Noll, he was hired January 27th, 1969. The next day, again, they draft Mean Joe Green. Noll told the players straight up, you know, and according to former Steeler linebacker Andy Russell, 
who was on those losing teams since 1963, told that team they just weren't any good. And he was going to have to get rid of most of all of them. And Russell says that only about five players made it to that 1974 championship team, Super Bowl winning team. Of course, the next year, 1970, they draft Terry Bradshaw, the first pick of the draft. And what an immediate impact. We turned out to be a pro football Hall of Fame quarterback. And much in the light, uh, strong arm and attitude, kind of like Joe Namath, whom he lost to, right? <laughs> and then you had, this was followed by guys like Frank Lewis, Jack Ham, Gary Mullins, Dwight White, Larry Brown, and Ernie Holmes in 1971. Franco Harris and Joe Gilliam came in 1972. The same year, Pittsburgh won their first playoff game, Immaculate Reception. 1973, JT Thomas, and then, of course, the 74 historic draft that brought along four Pro Football Hall of Famers, Swan, Lambert, Stallworth, and Webster, as well as the undrafted Donnie Shell. And the rest, they say, is history. Steelers history. That's it. References. Uh, well, before I say that, you know, if you want me to bottle it up, well, what, what was it? I mean, you had a really great owner who was really nice. Uh, and early on, he was hiring some of the wrong people, some of them. That were just, they were too close. What they say about hiring friends and family is sometimes hiring family can be good, especially if it's your sons who actually, you know, do the job and they see things outside of the box that you see. And it was, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. References, thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, also Stat News, and a couple of books, The League. How Five Rivals Created the NFL and Launched a Sports Empire. Very good book. I recommend it. By John Eisenberg and, of course, America's Game, the NFL at 100, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams, the co-authors. And get this one, Steelers fans, their life's work. Gary M. Pomerantz, he's the author. And also 75 Seasons, the story of the NFL. And also uh, America's Game, the story of the 1974 Pittsburgh Steelers. And finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. That's what we are part of. Go to bellyupsports.com. Also, you can catch our shows, all of our shows, the Belly Up Sports family on Megaphone. Also, the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show or I'll find your house and have a very, very Merry Christmas. I'm out.